Welcome to another episode of Records Revisit, podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is a man who likes cold beverages when he's fishing. Let's keep one thing clear. The bait's over there and the brew's right here. Here's my co-host from the left coast and the Kool-Aid kid himself, Wayne Fugate. Uh, hola, Ben. How so for this episode, we have a special guest. You might know him as Garrett Dutton, or you might know him as the man who fronts the special sauce. Their most recent record is called The Juice, it includes a plethora of blues and Americana stars. So please welcome to the podcast, G-Love. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Hey. Doing, doing well. Uh, so, so, right. so, so do I call you Garrett? Do I call you G-Love? Do I call you just G? What, 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 what's your preference? <laughs> Either anyone you want, whatever feels good uh, coming off the tongue. We, we like G. G. G's Great. good, right? Fine. That works. That's one of my names. Cool. So I, I almost used as the introduction for Wayne. Here's my co-host. He's your garbage man coming down the street to kick your can, <laughs> to kick your can. Anyways. I like he, that, too. Yeah, he, he wanted me to use the, uh, the the bruise right here part. So there we go. All right. Well, pretty classic one. There you go. <laughs> well, the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, we ask the all-important question. So let's start with G. What T-shirt are you wearing, G? I'm wearing my uh, black Charlie's Maui T-shirt, which is uh, Charlie's Saloon. Uh, it's a venue that I play in Paia in Maui every year. Uh, I usually play there around the holidays. Perfect. It's one of my many free T-shirts. There you go. And and is that usually with Jack Johnson, who's also in uh, in Hawaii? Um, not that particular gig, but okay. Jack usually does show up sometimes when we play in his neighborhood on the North Shore of Oahu. Okay, so he's not in Maui. I know that there's a ton. okay. Yeah. I know there's a ton of islands, and I I've never been there, so I couldn't tell you which one is which. So well, damn man, you got to take a vacation. You got to get you surfing. Uh, I I <laughs> I have surfed uh, back in the day. We we uh, so I I grew up in Tacoma, and one of my friends had a surfboard, and any time that it was super stormy out. We would grab the board, drive out to Ocean Shores, which is a couple hours away from Tacoma, and we had one wetsuit that we shared among okay. three of us. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I have I have surfed before, and I live in Florida, so I have I have been on a surfboard a couple times down here, but my my old ass uh, can't get on the board very uh, very good anymore. So. <laughs> challenging sport to say the least yes it <laughs> is yes it is all right wayne how about you what t-shirt are you wearing uh i want to do something east coast so i got my uh wu-tang uh, all right, there you go all right and uh i'm wearing a new shirt that i got as a christmas present from my my co-host wayne so i'm wearing my my pearl jam shirt and it's uh the the guys and on the back is all of the the various Chicago dates that they've played. So I figured I would, uh, I would wear my Pearl jam shirt in honor of the new single that just came out, the March of the clairvoyance. There you go. 
Sweet. Awesome. Have either of you listened to the new Pearl Jam song? I have. I have not listened to it. How is it? It's different. It's different. <laughs> yeah, it's different. Okay. Yeah, they're actually doing something a little bit, a uh, little bit out there, a little more electronic and. Um, really? Yeah, it's 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 cool. I like it, but I know that the it has definitely divided the the the, the Pearl Jam camp for sure. Oh, I got to check it out. It's uh, it's kind of kind of scares me a little bit because like when you two kind of put out some like EDM stuff, I was like, eh, I don't know about that. But you know, you gotta again, you have to like. And you got to let people do their thing. So that's, that's pretty cool. They're just doing something different anyways. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. Yeah. And I think it's all part of, you know, just evolving as an artist. I mean, like sure. I was, look, I was looking at your bio, you guys have been doing this for 25 years. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the band was put together in 1993. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is kind of our, I think this is our 28th year. Wow. I was a band like going into that. Yeah. That's crazy. Been doing it for, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Man. I, I, I just, I just can't believe that maybe I'm that old that I can, you know, remember you, you guys back in the day, but you know, talking about evolving and putting out new music. So you guys have a new record called the juice. And I have to tell you that I think it's your best record. And um, not just pandering because you know you're on you're on the podcast, oh, but it's but it's great. Okay. And I and I feel like thank you guys you, you guys have evolved a little bit. Where you know you've you've introduced a, a few new elements. You got some 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 cool heavy hitters to come on, like Marcus King, and um, we'll talk about Keb Mo here. I've got a few questions for Keb Mo down the line, and Robert Randolph. So so I got to ask you this first, though. Who who's the little voice providing the introduction to the juice? <laughs> yeah, that's my three year old son, uh, Lewis. But actually, he was probably two when he did that. That's but uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like yeah, so and actually, the title track's called yeah. The title track is the juice, and uh, it did start with you know me saying, "Hey man, what you got?" And he might have said, "I got juice," and I said, "Oh, that's gonna be a song." <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> Of course, it wasn't about juice. It was a metaphor, you know, the sure. em- empowerment. I got juice. No more lies about this. No more lies about that. No more ace up your sleepies. Just lay your cards flat. See how peeps had it rough when the struggle is tough. Bad news on the news every day. It's enough. It's enough to make good people turn around and leave. How about we march in the street? Cause we raise our fists in the air. Cause we do care. You say who cares? We do. We got the juice, we got the love, we got the dream, we won't give up, we won't give up, we are the change, we had enough, we got the juice, time's up. Divided you fall, united we rise, it's been hard to see through all these Yeah, but that's cool, and then actually my older son who's 18, Aiden, on the on our record g love the hustle uh, i think was 2003 or something he starts off that record with a song don't drop it and he goes don't 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 drop it yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so you know what man you got to get those kids on there when they're young and cute man (laughs) so 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 what does your 18 year old think about when he hears uh you know the the early self on on that record does is he embarrassed at all about it or does he think it's cool no, I'm sure he thinks it's cool. 
Okay. That's that's what that's he, what he, us he, parents always say, right? No, nah, it's fine. Yeah, well, he he's actually a musician as well. Like, um, he actually he has his stage name is Clear Cola, okay. and uh, he uh, he has a record out. He has two records out on Spotify, so it's pretty cool. Nice. But yeah, he's uh, turning into the family biz. <laughs> that's mm. that's that's great. So, so on the new record, I have to tell you my favorite song is Birmingham. That song is fun. There's and there's that's okay. Wow, and that's one with uh, Robert Randolph and Kebmo. So, and, and I I would say that that uh, that really captures I think what kind of sets you apart in the blues category is that you know you've got that incorporation of of hip hop into your into your music and and I don't think that the new album really separates that hip hop influence, you know, especially on songs like, you know, shake your hair and go crazy. But I think that there's some like straight up blue songs, I think more so on this record than some of your, your previous record. Was that, was that kind of a conscious decision of, of trying to go more straight up blues? Yeah. I mean, the story of this record is uh, really the story of, you know, Kev Mo and I, and, um, you know, we got signed together in 1993 to OK Epic Records. We l- relaunched that um, label, OK, o- and it's spelled O-K-E-H. And that was a quote, like a race records, oh. meaning that they, um, in the, starting in the 1930s, they released African-American artists, including a single by Robert Johnson, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Kev Bo and I later... Um, relaunch the label so just reconnecting like 20 years after that like down the road both of our careers of course he's we've both had great success and you know done a lot with our music and of course kev had wonderful success in the world of blues yeah and including you know many many grammys and um so we reconnected and to me it was just a really wonderful opportunity to um get invited to work with kev because I want to find out what his process is because I, you know, like any recording artist, it would be a great honor to to get a Grammy. So I, that was kind of my sights is like, let's try and um, do what I do and, um, you know, get it even on the more side of the blues side of town and try to be eligible for, you know, a uh, contemporary blues Grammy. Um, so that was kind of um, the goal outside of just creating um, music together. Um, if there was like a material goal involved, but so that being said, you know, working with Keb, it was really like a masterclass in the blues and, and actually a masterclass in just music in general, you know, and, but that being said, like Kevin had a lot of, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, the way he looks at the blues and it, it has to be a certain thing. So there's certain chords that you shouldn't use and there's certain, you know, chord progressions that would take it out of being the blues and there's certain lyrical choices that he wouldn't want to say. So it was a very thought out process. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, you know, but yeah, so, you know, we did consciously want to showcase, yeah, the hip hop influence always going to be there. But we do want to really delve into the more blues side of what I do. Yeah. 
I dig it. It's great. Like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a great record. Um, I will say um, my least favorite song is probably "Shake Shake Your Hair" because neither Wayne or I have any hair to shake. <laughs> So I can't I can't follow through with any of that instruction. So no, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I, I dig that song a lot. Uh, Wayne, how about you? What uh, you got any go to tracks on this record? Uh, Birmingham also, but uh, Soul BQ. I really like that one a lot. Yeah, so so G, you've been on the road now for for a couple weeks in support of this record. So, what kind of reception are you getting for for this record? Well, it's been great. Um, actually, Soul BQ is is probably one of my favorites. Um, it's funny you guys both left Birmingham because um, <clears throat> not that that's my not a favorite, but that's that's uh. I guess it's not one of my favorite. <laughs> it's, not, it's not my go-to track. We haven't started playing that one live yet. Okay. Um, that song was kind of an outsider in the session. That's and it actually, it's interesting because that song was co-written by, and it was the only song that was co-written away from the session. And um, it was co-written by myself and this writer named um, Sam Hollander. And Sam Hollander um, is a huge um, kind of pop and um, pop writer. Okay. Well, I shouldn't say shouldn't say only pop, but he writes for a lot of people. But he this he's had a great couple of years. Like he wrote "Fits in the Tantrums," hit "I Can Make Your Hands Clap." Oh yeah, yeah, which yeah. was a big hit. And he wrote um, this past year to to Panic at the Disco's um, "High Hopes," which is like a huge mega hit. Um, and then, yeah, he he um, he and I wrote the Birmingham song, so that's that's kind of interesting. So maybe um, that has a little more pop sensibility. That song that catch you guys' ears. Yeah, and and maybe that's part of the reason why um, you know that 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 caught me is I'll, I'll try not to get too long winded on this. So I I saw Peter Frampton a few months ago on his farewell tour, and he talked about making a blues record where he, you know, he covered Muddy Waters, covered Freddie King, Taj Mahal, Willie Dixon. And on the way home, a conversation came up where we talked about that portion of the concert where he, he did more of those blues songs. And, and, you know, we were asking, well, is, is Frampton blues guy or is he just influenced by the blues? And, um, I tended to say he's influenced by the blues, but he's not a blues guy. And a- am I correct in saying that you can you can separate the blues from being blues influenced? Because I look I look at like you know 
Big Head Todd and the Monsters, for for instance. I really dig them, uh-huh. but I've had the same conversation with other people where they're like, well, they're blues. And I'm like, no, I don't think they're blues band because they're more rock and pop, but they're definitely yeah. blues influenced. So. Right. Maybe I'm just I just like the the bands that are blues influenced instead of just straight up blues. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you know, um, Frampton, for instance, like you know, he's an English guy and he's a guitar slinger, and no doubt that he came up on the blues, and then you know, he obviously found himself in rock and roll, and is a great songwriter, and obviously the live record was his, you know, his mega breakthrough. And, and that record, you know, that's a rock and roll record, but you know, you could tell, I mean, his guitar playing is pretty, especially on that record, there's elements of blues in it, of course, but yeah, it's definitely like rock and roll guitar slinging. Um, And then, you know, Big Head Todd, like I know Todd real well. And, um, and I would say that, right. I would agree with you. I'd say that their, their records and their sound is like, you know, rock, rootsy, pop rock, and yeah. um, and jammy pop rock. But I, you know, Todd's a big blues guy, like personally, and like he likes to sit around, and play a dobro, and play some slide guitar, and um, and he's gotten to do some tours on different projects, like hanging out with like Honey Boy Edwards and um, some of the older surviving. Okay. Legends of the Blues. So he's really got to cut his teeth with some of the best. But yeah, I mean, you know, um, yeah, the blues right is the root. So you know, it's the root of all rock and pop and hip hop and and everything else is coming out of that blues tradition. And so I think that the people that take the time to go back and well, a telling tale is if you meet a guitar player and and they say, you say, well, what do you play? Oh, well, I play blues. Oh, well. Who's your influences? Oh, like Eric Clapton and Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, I mean, all right, well, okay. All right. Well, you know, you need to follow that trail. Keep going back on that, right. on that trail. Cause you got to, you know, if you're learning the blues from G love, well, you can easily go back and find John Hammond and then you can find, uh, every, uh, all the other people. And so, yeah, you, you, you owe it to yourself as a musician to kind of, go back and study the history of the music that you love and, and therefore really get to the root. And that way, you know, you're not getting secondhand. Cause you can learn, learn a blues from Led Zeppelin. You can learn a blues from me, yes. but you know, you really want to learn the blues from John Lee Hooker and Robert Johnson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, <laughs> the, this episode is definitely a education uh, for, for me. Cause I'm, you know, again, going back to the blues versus blues influence, I'm, I'm blues influenced. Um, so, so, you know, listening to some of these old tracks that, that, you know, Hammond resurrected definitely was an education. So, so based off of what you said with, with Clapton and Stevie Ray Vaughan, so let, how about for some of the newer contemporaries? So like, would you consider Brittany Howard and Alabama shakes? Would you consider them blues or blues influenced? Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, Brit's like, I mean, what a, she's a heck of a guitar player. Yeah. <laughs> She'll rip your face off with some blues. Um, I, I would say that she's, you know, no, I would say that, that they're, you know, again, rock and roll 
pop rock and roll. Now she's kind of leaning more towards like rootsy, you know, R and B. It seems like yeah. um, she's very expressive. It doesn't seem like she's very follows too much of a formula, and she's you know a true you know generational talent. Um, so yeah, but again, and here's the other side of things. Like if you look at someone um, like Brittany Howard and Alabama Shakes, I mean, I, they're they're rock and roll, right? They're they're blues, southern blues influence. And if you look at a guy like Gary Carr Jr., well, you Gary Carr Jr. is blues, right? But he's surpassed the blues because his, his he's become bigger than than the than the blues. You know what I mean? And and yeah. I think ultimately, and that's the same kind of thing as Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix was blues, right? But he surpassed the blues and like became his own music. Yeah. And I think that that's ultimately a better, and I think that that's the best case scenario, right? To, to be your own entity. When you look, when I see like, uh, you know, when I was good to go on festivals or blues cruise or whatever and get to see Buddy Guy play, who's still really the last surviving great, great classic blues recording artist uh, that was recording in the 50s and stuff like that, and maybe even the 40s, I don't know. But, um, you know, like, I, Buddy's obviously had a tremendous career, and he's influenced everybody, and everybody talks about him. Jimmy, you know, Jimi Hendrix was hugely influenced by him, and so was Eric Totten and everybody else. And you could tell he's got a little chip on his shoulder about it because, you know, obviously rock and roll is way bigger than the blues. And even though he's like the king of the blues, well, these, all these other people kind of took his style and, and became bigger than the blues. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I think that ultimately, yeah, I think everybody likes to be bigger than the blues. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Uh, then, sorry. Then the last thing I'll say is then you see like people going back after they've had great success like Peter Frampton, Aerosmith, like, you know, these guys and the Stones later in their recording careers when they're older, they're like, you know, man, look, let's just go back, go back to our roots and make a blues record, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I think John Mayer kind of, uh, uh, followed that, uh, that as well. Yeah. I mean, John's like another, I mean, you know, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't, I always got a sense that he's more was always kind of more rock and roll yeah. than blues. But obviously, this is a guitar player who's obviously spent his time learning all the licks and can play anything. And um, now with the Grateful Dead thing, yeah, he's, he's kind of become the king of the jam jam scene, which is a really interesting turn of events for his career. Yeah, absolutely. So, so who out there right now of your contemporaries is uh, is is somebody that we need to pay attention? You you brought up Gary Clark Jr. Um, I uh, I discovered Cedric Burnside uh, a few months oh, yeah. ago, and uh, yeah. re- really really like him as well. Yeah, Cedric's great, um, and we got to spend some good times together, and I got to know each other from doing these blues cruises. Um, and, um, well, actually, there's a young guy on my record, um, a Hawaiian blues guitar player named Ron Ortiz II, and he's kind of a unknown so far, but definitely like a rising talent and real gifted um, guitar player. And, you know, coming from a real musical family and 
again, taking that kind of tradition of the blues and really doing his own thing with it. Yeah, you mentioned the other guys in the record, Marcus King. He's also a guy that, you know, rooted in the blues and southern rock, but he's almost more jazzy. And, and I think his latest record's kind of more honky-tonk, uh, honky-tonk soul or something. Yeah, I, 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 li- I like his re- recent record. It's good. It's good stuff. All right, so uh, latest record is produced by Keb Moe. And there's no question that Kebmo is a blues guy. So what what did he bring to the record that uh, you know makes this record stand out a little? Well, fun fact: we share the same birthday, October third. Excellent. Which is pretty funny, um, Keb. Um, but we we have really different personalities. Um, but that could just be our age gap. Um, but anyway, he, he's a very thoughtful, very, very meticulous guy, like the most meticulous person I've worked with in the studio. The only one that, the only person that kind of comes close to as meticulous is that I've worked with is, uh, my buddy Citizen Cope. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. um, Kev's very meticulous. So, so everything is about the process, right? So. So the starting from the bones, like when we're creating a song, um, the song has to have the exact right tempo, the exact right key, the exact right groove. And then the, we're working on the lyrical content. What's the song about? What's the backstory? It's not just about a girl. Well, no, tell me about the girl. What, what did she do to you? What happened? You know, like he wants to know every detail or, you know, what's this song about? This is, about, I want to have a, I want to make a song inviting people into my, into my world. Oh, the soul cues. So, well, who's coming? Who's coming? Well, these are all the people that are coming. This is what they're bringing. And, um, so every, the, the lyrical, I, you know, it just, I've been, I'm, I've been writing songs, um, since I was 15. It's a huge part of, you know, my life and always has been a major source of my being able to express myself. So I write a lot. And, you know, I've written some pretty, I've written some pretty good songs over the years. I've written some songs that aren't so good, <laughs> you know, like everybody else. I mean, Stevie Wonder probably has, you know, a million songs in the trash can too. But, you know, writing with Kev was like going back to songwriting school or something. Just really every word, you know, every word had to be the right word and said the right way. and. And so I think ultimately the meticulousness of that, and I had to really be patient um, with it because sometimes it would get frustrating. It's like, dude, it's got to let me do my thing for a minute here. You know what I mean? Uh, instead of telling me what to do. Um, but I, I think I, I just learned so much about phrasing, about like where to put your vocal on the beat, like what part of the beat to put your vocal on, how you can play with the listener by you know, saying it this time on the downbeat and next time singing on the upbeat and all these little different tricks and different notes to sing that I was, that I don't, wasn't naturally hearing. So, yeah. I mean, just a real, you know, masterclass in music is really great. And kudos to you for, you know, people who've been in the industry for as long as you have, having an outside influence come in and, and tell you, Hey, maybe you should think it, about it in these terms. You know, somebody who has been doing it for over 25 years, uh, you know, I think the tendency would be like, well, 
I've been doing it for 25 years. I think I know what the hell I'm doing, right? Right. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and I just think that that's a dangerous trap to get into yeah. in life in general. So, you know, I kind of try to, you know, maintain the philosophy of kind of being a student of life and, you know, continuously trying to uh, learn new things and, and for sure that music itself is like this never ending journey. And, and that's, and, and I guess like all the arts, I, I have a friend, a friend of mine, actually, the, he's a painter. His name's Greg Haverty. He, he did the, the piece of artwork, which is the record cover for the juice. And, um, you know, this, you know, I think the two of us, our careers, we, we're both so utterly passionate about like the work, the work that we do. And we both have a extreme, extreme work ethic just to grind and like, you know, just create and, um, and it's frustrating sometimes because, you know, sometimes I feel like I don't get the recognition or, you know, you see people, it's hard not to compare yourself with your peers that might be, you know, making more money or less money than you, whatever, or more success or less success. But, you know, it's sometimes hard to just to, to say, oh, man, well, this person's, I'm just as good as that person. Look, look, look at what's happening with them right now, you know. Um, but then we, we, we remind each other, you know, what it, it's all a part of the process. It's all part of the journey, you know, the, the, of creating. And it's ultimately, it's not about the accolades, the money that you make. It's like the work, the work itself is, is the joy and, and is the journey. And therefore the learning um, is part of that journey as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I, I think that it comes across with this record. So yeah, good stuff. So Wayne, what am I missing from asking uh, G Love before we jump into the record he chose to revisit? I, I don't know that you've missed anything. I know that this record, this record, uh, I wasn't familiar with, but I'm a huge Rolling Stones fan. And the one of the things I did after listening to uh, John Hammond's Country Blues a couple of times is go back to Beggar's Banquet and uh, start Bye. from there up to uh from there up to exile on main street and just hear that that evolution from them too because i would say beggar's banquet was actually probably recorded after this and it's much more country blues and then you see it kind of glide towards exile on main street they even do a robert or they they kind of rework a, a robert johnson song on let it bleed love, and, oh, love in yeah. vain right yeah and then all the way to Exile on Main Street, where it's much more like Chicago blues, uh, electric blues. But that this this like I say, John Hammond's country blues felt like required reading. Like when you take a college class at, and they give you a textbook with all all the information and then they say, oh, but you've got to read this by this guy. And I think John Hammond's country blues is one of those things that everybody who likes who likes any um, really, like you said, you look at these some of these these songs, there's. I mean, NWA, I mean, hip hop and everything comes out of the blues and anybody, everybody should listen to this record. Yeah, right on. Actually, to tell you the truth, you know, Mick Jagger was such a huge and and uh, Mick, all the Rolling Stones um, and were such huge fans of, of John Hammond and actually um, and so was Jimi Hendrix. Cause like, so that, that record was in 1962, I think. And um, so this was right before, you know, like Jimi Hendrix and um, the Rolling Stones and all these guys recorded. I, I think that, that they were 
or right at the same time. So it was like John was actually a big influence on a lot of these guys. Like his take on the blues was so authentic. I mean, just you know, just to use your example, like if you listen to the love, the love in vain that the Rolling Stones cut, that's a great track, and you know, it it sounds like the Rolling Stones playing a blues song. So it doesn't. If you hear John Hammond singing "Love in Vain," it sounds more authentic to me. You know, it's like not a rock and roll blues cover. It's like this is the real blues. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. There, there's, there's a difference there. You know. Yeah, he the has stones were certainly influenced by him. Yeah, John Hammond, like I say, he has the blues. I mean, you can hear it in his voice. It's, it's, uh, it's incredible. No, oh, man. All right. Well, one last question before we actually jump feet first into uh, John Hammond's country blues. So, gee, we've been asking all of our guests, "Toto's Africa," good or bad song? What is it? Toto, Toto's Africa. Oh, Toto's Africa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think it's a great song, man. You know, I mean, you know, what? How can, how can that? Can, I mean, I don't know how anyone could say that that's a bad song. I mean, it might not be, you know, your cup of tea, but yeah, I, I mean, never said it was a bad song. I just said I didn't like it. <laughs> how, I mean, it's almost like how can you not like it? It's almost like a perfect, you know, melody, and there's nothing about the groove that can like there's like no part of it that can be like irksome to your ears <laughs> so 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 wayne how how should i be asking all of our guests the toto toto africa question uh if they like it or not like i say i would never say that something was bad it's i mean i guess that's not true there is some bad stuff but in this sense it's not that i think it's a bad song or that it's ter- i mean they're wonderful musicians They've written other songs that are, I think, I guess, have a little more depth and character. Um, I don't, I don't like it. I think it's, I think it's soulless. <laughs> but I, I don't have any, I have nothing bad to say about them as musicians or songwriters. Okay, fair enough. All right, so, so, G, tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. Yeah, so you know, it is a hard choice to. Um, to kind of think about all the records that I love and all the different styles of stuff that I love. But whenever anyone asks me, like, what's the most important record, it always comes back to the John Hammond country blues record. And it was such an important record for me because it truly gave me a huge epiphany, which has led to my whole career. And it started like this, basically I was playing, um, acoustic guitar and I started playing a harmonica on the rack, you know, like, um, so now I was influenced by Bob Dylan a lot and like folk rock. And, you know, I just, um, I needed to see if there's anybody else that can play solo acoustic guitar and, you know, performing songs and with the voice, the guitar and the harmonica on the rack besides Bob Dylan or Neil Young. And so I went to the music store, a third street jazz and rock in Philadelphia, which is no longer there. And I said, is there anybody that plays harmonica rack for some? Besides Bob Dylan, he said, yeah, check this John Hammond record. Pull this out. You know, I took it home and then I put on that first side, I think, um, traveling Riverside blues, 
uh, his rendition of Robert Johnson's Traveling Riverside Blues came on. And I said, oh, man, it was like the sky opened up. I'll never forget that moment. It was like that was the sound that I was searching for. It was nothing I ever heard before. You know, because I only heard like the Beatles and Bob Dylan strumming guitars. And, and this is really complex guitar work where you're playing a riff and you're playing a bass line and a melody all at the same time. And no one does it like John Hammond. And then the harmonica too was like, it wasn't just breathing in and out. Not Nothing for nothing taken away from, you know, Neil Young and Bob Dylan. I mean, they're, they're amazing. Um, but John Hammond's plans, it was like he was choking the thing. He was making this thing talk. It was like a train. It was like a, a coyote. It was, it was all, it was very, it's just so expressive. And, um, and that was it for me. So that, that's, so, so that, and that record, you know, I, I, when I first heard it, and then I would read the liner notes and I'd say, oh, John Hammond made this record when he was 20. I was, I think I was 16 or 17. I said, well, I got so 20 years old to make a record. Yeah. <laughs> so this record's <laughs> been a big, big thing for me in my life. Man. Yeah. Well, it was, it was no surprise that you chose this. Usually when, you know, we, we book our guests and I, and I tell them, okay, now it's your time to, you know, pick a record. So while we had booked you and then, I went out and listened to a podcast episode that you did with our friends over at Tune Styles, and you talked about country blues. So when the email came back over to me and said, so G has picked country blues, I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised because you even told <laughs> you, you even said on that podcast about how 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 instrumental this record was and just kind of your evolution and um why you chose to be a musician so not not a surprise at all well you know i hope i didn't bore you guys if you no absolutely <laughs> yeah, not. no 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 it's just it's um yeah it's just yes yeah, i mean you know i mean what can i say it's just you know i don't even know if it must be on spotify i guess but um, it is yeah yeah absolutely it is. okay great yeah yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah. So, so let me let's get, jump, some, let's jump into it. Yeah. Let's, uh, let me give, give some bio info on the record. So country blues was released in 64. It's probably recorded, um, earlier than that. And Wikipedia, I'm not sure if Wikipedia is correct. Cause I looked at John's personal website. He had country blues listed chronologically as his second record, but Wikipedia has it listed as third. So, um, I'm going to say that it's the second record because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll follow John's personal website over Wikipedia. So first record, John Hammond, 63 in 64, he released both big city blues, which includes, uh, Willie Dixon's, uh, backdoor man, which later was made famous by, of course, the doors and then country blues came out during the, during the same time. Um, if you guys are are uh confused if you look on the 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 internet so there's two john hammonds this is john hammond uh junior i guess you would call junior because um john no no this is the third no he's the third right no 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 this is something that's really important because so john his father is john henry hammonds okay who was the legendary A&R guy yes. who signed 
Bruce Springsteen, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Bob Dylan, uh, uh, Bessie Smith, and you can just look at his discography because he's probably the most important A&R guy of all time in the music business. Yeah. John Henry Hammond. John, the musician, his son is John Paul Hammond. That's it. So it's, yes. um, and it's something that, you know, John likes, obviously. He's not the third or the junior, but obviously a lot of people have made that mistake over the years. Yeah. And, and, and he I hates just- it. And I just just did too. Yeah. John Henry Hammond is, uh, he's in the rock and roll hall of fame. Sure. Yeah. So no, no, no slouch at all. Um, so, so so John Hammond. Sorry. That was my kid. (laughs) So, so John's recordings have spanned over four decades. He's got 30 albums to date, uh, recording work, remarkably strong in, um, you know, he's been signed to a number of major labels, Vanguard, Point Blank, Virgin, Rounder. Uh, the one thing that uh, that I noticed is Hammond is not a so- not considered a songwriter. So in the early days of his career, he just really wanted to to educate people on the blues. And you will notice that um, as we go through each of these each of these songs, there's there's no songwriting credits to John. These are all other people's songs that he took. Now we'll we'll talk about some of the variations that he 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 does on on some of the songs. But um, he's not a songwriter. He's a blues guy. He's bringing the blues to us. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's an interesting part of his career, and I think that I have a feeling that um, well, for one thing on his most recent recordings in the last, you know, 10 years, he has made an express effort to write and to deliver original songs. Um, and I think that his wife, Marla, has been instrumental in encouraging him to do that because he is a great writer. I think personally, John has said to me, um, you know, look, you know, there's so many, he always felt like there's so many great songs out there that no one's singing anymore. And he felt really passionate about, um, that also his renditions of these legendary songs, right. Were, were, were truly original in, in their own, um, in his own expression. And, and it, he he you know so, so so he really chose that path and i think i was doing like if he if he could probably do it again he would probably write again because i, I you know again like you know you look at john's career and he was you know a huge influence on bob dylan and a huge influence yeah. on like i said before eric Clapton, jimmy hendrick yeah. and the band was his band um you know, Robbie Robertson was his lead guitar player and um, all these guys kind of looked up to him and they also all kind of went on to be the hugest names in classic rock, right? So yeah. I think, and, and whereas John's career has, he's had a wonderful career and brought so much to the world of music and has had so much respect and everything, but because of the fact that he didn't have publishing, he didn't make that money and and then he had no chance to really have huge commercial success yeah um 
and and so I, that that kind of eluded him. So whereas in the sixties, him and Bob Dylan were best friends. And one thing they said to me because I produced one of John's records called Push to Shove in two thousand and eight, and um and I said, John, what about trying to get some of the guys that you influence on your record, like Eric Topkin and Neil Young and Robbie Robertson and Bob Dylan? And he goes, man, Gary, you know, these I haven't talked to these guys in so long. And, you know, you just fought. These guys have all got so rich. They have houses everywhere. You just you don't know where they are. You just lose touch with them. And he kind of didn't really want to go there. So I, I think that I think that um, I think maybe he's had, you know, some. I don't know. Maybe he's had some some regrets about not writing and having that kind of rock and roll success. But at the same time, you this guy has stayed so true. John stayed so true to his craft and his knowledge of the blues is like an encyclopedia, and it's it's really a wonderful thing. And the gifts that he's brought to this to the world of music. You know? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's jump into it. So as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on the record? 12. So that means our top song is going to get 12 points. Next favorite song, 11 on down to our lowest score of one. Let's kick it off. Here's Traveling Riverside Blues. Well, I'm going to Rosedale Ten miles right about my side Yes, I'm going to Rosedale Ten miles right about my side Well, we can show my house, baby Cause it's on the riverside And this is a, this is a Robert Johnson song I was familiar with this song because there's a version of it that appears on the Led Zeppelin box set that came out in the early 90s. It's uh, quite different from the original, to, and uh, I think it's it's more a tribute to Robert Johnson than uh, than more of a like straight cover because uh, the song really showcases a, a riff by by Page, and um, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, what do you guys think about this song as the the the, the lead the lead song? Good good uh, good way to introduce the the rest of the record. Wayne, yeah, I think this was a great way to introduce the record. I mean, this is uh, and at the time this was probably a much more obscure. Like I say, I never heard the song until um, I saw I was watching MTV or something and saw the video uh, come out in what ninety. And uh, before that, I I never heard it, and I thought it was phenomenal then. But this version, uh, it's the one thing, and it happens on a, on a couple, or probably more than a couple of tracks, where I could have swore it was two guitars. I was I was absolutely convinced. Nothing I read indicates that anybody but John Hammond played on this record. But and then I watched. Uh, I watched this really short documentary on Robert Johnson called like the devil at the crossroads. Mm-hmm. And they said that was, that was what made him so special at the time is he sounded like he was playing two guitars, but it was really just one. And it just blew me away that. And then I never really paid attention to the lyrics and these, 
<laughs> it is so gangster that it is just for 1937. I mean, he's just bragging about all the women he's got from Vicksburg to Tennessee, and apparently Robert right. Johnson had Robert Johnson had women from from the Gulf of Mexico to the Great Lakes. He was that was his thing in every town. He had some girl that he would stay with while he was why he just traveled around. But he you know, just some of the great lines. One of my, my favorite line is, "She got a mortgage on my body. Now I'm laying on my soul." I'm just like that is the coolest way to say she owns me and I can't do anything about it. I, I mean, it was just a great song just great yeah i mean the, the, like like i said I, i'll never forget um just putting that record on and hearing that um just the way he's playing that guitar and yeah i i too i always i always, always love that line well it's just it's so bad as you know the lyric of if your man gets punched honey won't you have your fun you know <laughs> can you not love his fun necessarily if your man gets punched honey won't you have your fun and then, yeah, that other line. I got women in Vicksburg playing on in the Tennessee. So when I play that song live sometimes, that always gets a cheer. Right, right. Oh, I bet. How about the last verse? So I want to throw this out because, you know, he's talking about squeezing the lemon and the juice running down his leg. Definitely a sexual innuendo. How, how, much, how much of the blues is sexual innuendo? Oh, man. I... From listening oh, to yeah. this, especially, I think it's it's all of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and don't forget, Robert Johnson was poisoned by a jealous lover. That's how he died. Yeah. And so we, we have to think about Robert Johnson being a um, a big time player. <laughs> you know, like all musicians. <laughs> <laughs> and even uh, this 1937, like these lyrics, I mean, they may seem somewhat, you know, they're still sexual now, but you just think. I mean, gosh, that's almost a hundred years ago. This was, this had to be contra- This had to be taboo. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. Like again, like you know, so you think about that. Like, yeah, they, these records weren't getting spun. That that Robert Johnson. I mean, they, these were. That's why they call them race records because these were, these were, Robert Johnson was was making records that certainly were, were never going to be for a white audience, and certainly wasn't worried about any kind of radio play or any kind of censorship i mean this stuff was the devil's music and it was for a reason that's why they call it devil's music (laughs) so so going back to my question of blues influence band so i i I told you that my introduction to the song was through led zeppelin so do it do we consider them a blues band or blues influence rock band no Um, blues influence rock band yeah okay yeah blues influence rock band Gotcha. All right. Should we get some scores on this? Yeah, this was my favorite song. I mean, uh, I I just like I can say the guitar work on this is is incredible. He gets this, you know, this real chugga chugga like train rhythm going on and then just lays lays these these increasing incredible lyrics over the top of it. Yeah. How about you, G? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of and you'll have to forgive me, it's kind of hard for me to like score these songs on the record because I was going over them and trying to put them in order and then and I did it first at the top of my head and uh, Mike in the office was saying well what about these and I was oh man you gotta slide that one up towards the front so um, <laughs> you know again like th- this record for me was like a blueprint to finding myself as a guitar player and I did approach and try to learn every song some of them 
I was able to get more of a handle on because John's play is really un unorthodox. So this traveling Riverside song was 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 pretty perfect for me because the lyric was so badass. You know, like Wayne said, it had a real kind of up tempo, tough rhythm, and uh, it also has the great harmonica performance on it. Um, yeah. So what do I? Well, that's why I said it was number one. This is number one. This is your twelfth, and I'm giving this eleven. So um, just spoiler. Hey, but this is traveling Riverside Blues. You're talking yeah. about. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah All right. So uh, moving on. Here's Hitchhiking Woman. Well, I'm going to ride slow and easy, mama. Tell me, don't you feel all right? Oh, and I'm gonna ride slow and easy. Oh, tell me, don't you feel all right? Well, but the way I'm riding, baby, someday make you fuss and fight. I will be the first one to admit I didn't know who. B.K. Turner was. That was who is uh, listed as the songwriting credits. Uh, Black Ace, I guess, was his most frequently used stage name. Is that cor is that correct? That did, did I do my did did I do my homework correctly? Black Ace. You, you did it more than me because I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that. I never went back to learn yeah. about that guy. So, all right. But I will say this. Uh, this song, this was my high school yearbook quote. <laughs> okay. If you're a hitchhiking woman, you could thumb around with me. Um, I don't know. I I always, I thought that, I don't know, man, the blue, you know, the, how if you're a hitchhiking woman, you could thumb around with me. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> how yeah. great a lyric is that? And this was also an interesting song for me as a guitar player to kind of my first endeavor trying to learn this song. And this was played with the bottleneck slide guitar style. So uh, again, this, this, um, this record, uh, it's like a woman I learned about open tuning. Yeah. Um, and playing with a slide guitar on that. So, and then, uh, yeah, so that was that. And I, and I, so I I definitely see more sexual innu innuendo in this. So the the lyric of just had my crank gates clean, mama. The motor won't get <laughs> out on me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely some more sexual innuendo going on. Um, yeah, and they, you go, you ride. I'm gonna ride you, mama. Ride you all yeah. night long. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I we know just how to ride you. I ain't gonna ride you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne, uh, what do you got on this song? I like I say I, all of the songs on here I think are important. This one I only found one other version besides John Hammonds, and that was actually a YouTube video with G Love playing it on the, and it gave me a more of an appreciation because the guitar at first kind of had this this sloppiness that I wasn't, I couldn't really put into context, and then seeing it being played with the guitar on his lap, 
it, it kind of put it all together for me. But I think the Me Too movement has had an effect on me because it, it had this ass, gas, and grass, nobody rides for free feel. And it kind of just creeped me out a little bit and the slower pace. But uh, all of these songs were were blue standards. And uh, and I appreciate them all for that. But Yeah, I feel like, you know, to that slow pacing, I feel like I have to justify my lower score for this song. It's not my lowest, but it's a, it's a lower score. And it would probably explain, I think, the rest of my scores. Because, well, Wayne, as you know, I tend to overanalyze everything, right? <laughs> Um, so, so it's a somber tone of this song that I think dropped it down in the scoring. I think for the most part, my higher scores are more of the upbeat songs. And, you know, given that G, you know, since a, a big portion of your catalog would be what I would categorize as those, those upbeat type of blue songs. Is that just kind of a conscious choice on your part to be more upbeat instead of the, the somber blues approach? Well, honestly, to tell you the truth, um, it's harder to play a slow song and okay. it's harder to sing a slow song. And it's, you know, uh, you know, tempo is, um, tempo brings energy. So, you know, um, I guess that's, I guess that's it. Yeah. Like that's it. It's just, it's, it's harder. It's, it's you gotta be really convicted. And you got to really um, put a, a different performance. So it's it's really challenging as a vocalist to uh, really, you know, put in a convincing performance uh, on a slow song than it is on a fast song. You know what I mean? So plus, it's, a, it's like because I have a lot of hip hip hop influence in my thing yeah. too. Um, those tempos are usually at least medium tempo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So we're. It sounds like we're giving John Hammond even more kudos, considering that uh, you know he he can do the whole somber blues approach. Oh yeah, I mean he he his uh, conviction, his vocal performance is, you know, it's. And again, you have to think about this guy. You know, this guy when he's recording this record was twenty. 20 yeah. years old or 21 years old and a white kid from Manhattan. Right. Singing really convincingly, um, the Delta blues in a, in a way that really gets the point across and doesn't sound, you know, <clears throat> put on at all. It doesn't sound, um, you know, gimmicky or anything. It's, it's real. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's get some scores. I'm giving this a six. G. Well, I said this was my two. Yeah, this is your this is your eleven. And then Wayne. Uh, oh wait, I'm going, wait. Wait, am I going backwards? Am yes. I playing this backwards? Yeah. So your 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 <laughs> your top score, your top song gets twelve points. Second favorite gets oh, okay. eleven. Yeah. Oh, you, okay, you, okay. We're, we're my eleven. We're 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 talking the same language, definitely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Wayne, what you got? Uh, and I knew he was going to have it high when I saw that he had, he had a version on YouTube, but it was my least favorite just for the, for the pace. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's sentimental. I mean, a lot of my scores are going to be sentimental. You know what I mean? And that's usually what our scores end up being. So, all good. Okay, very good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, leads us to next song, which is State 
Statesboro Blues. I can't even say this. Statesboro Blues. But that would be a great name for a craft brewery in Statesboro. Yes, it would be. Statesboro <laughs> Brews. Yeah, States, I bet there is one, too. There's no way there is. There's got to be. There, there's oh, got to be, yeah. I once loved a woman Well, better now I've ever seen Yes, I once loved a woman Well, better than I've ever seen Treated me like a king She's the doggone queen So this is a Blind Willie McTell cover, and the title refers to a town in Georgia, Statesboro. Um, there's been a lot of different covers of this. Taj Mahal did a cover. Um, I the one that I'm familiar with is the 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 Allman Brothers band version, uh, yeah. which is shorter, got simplified lyrics. So again, going back to my question of blues band or or uh, blues influence band. I'm going to throw this out there that I think the Allman Brothers are a blues band. Your I'm going to throw this out there. Well, I'm going to let Wayne go first. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. There's a. I, I think they're more of a southern rock band with a, okay. with a very heavy, heavy blues influence. Yeah, I mean, uh, just to tell you the truth, like um, I've been, I've been. Well, there's a new. Um, Allman Brothers band's kind of um, extension, which is Greg's son, Devin Allman. We talking about uh, Allman, Allman Betts? Yeah, so these guys, and these guys are real, I mean, these are some of my real dear friends. And we do the Allman Family Revival, and it's it's always, so last year I I fronted States Fair Blues, and of course we did the Allman version of States Fair Blues, yeah. which I always try and sneak in some of the more original kind of <laughs> lyrics in it. Cause when I hear the almonds um, version of States for blues, I say, okay, well that's not really how it goes. And, and, and I, and I, I, when I perform my solo shows, I play John's version of States for blues a lot as well. So it's part of my repertoire, but it's not the almonds version, but now the almonds version is, but yes, Southern rock, um, because, and obviously, yeah, obviously huge blues influence and those guys, you know, being from making Georgia stuff, uh, and down the Florida and stuff like this guys were, um, pretty saturated probably in being around some pretty authentic stuff growing up. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but of course, again, they they learned it from the source, and and then they 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 let it fly. You know, what I mean, so uh, and certainly the scales that we think of when we listen to the Almond Brothers, particularly from Dickie Betts playing, are are usually a major scales which you don't often find in the blues. So that in itself is okay. like a major difference in the guitar thing, the choice of the scales. Yeah. Okay. I I will say I like. I think I like other people's versions of this song more than, than John's. I think John was trying to be more true to blind Willie's version instead of the rocked up versions of, you know, Taj Mahal and Allman brothers. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. 
and he and he does change a little bit of the lyrics because the original lyrics, uh, the the one lyric of "You got no nerve, baby, to turn Papa McTell from your door," he changes it to right. "Uncle John." You got no no nerve, baby, to turn Uncle John from your door. So I like I like. Oh, does he say Uncle John? He said, "Yeah." Uh, and then when I when I sing it now, I go, "You got I say, you got the nerve." to drive old G love from your door or so you got nerve to drive Garrett Dutton from your door. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Personalize so, it, man. That, that, Personalize it. Yeah. Well, you got it. And then I think yeah. it's Greg Allman says, you got nerve to drive this poor boy from your door. I right. think is what he said. Yep. Yep. So lots of variations of that. Wayne, a- anything on this song before we get some, get some scores? Yeah, what was really cool was the evolution because I'd listened to uh, Blind Willie McTell's version, John Hammond's version, uh, Taj Mahal's version, which I I, th- I I absolutely love, and the Allman Brothers version, which, like you, that was the one I was most familiar with yeah. before. Um, but I, and John Hammond once again, he's the one guitar making it sound like two is incredible. I'm just blown away the way he can do rhythm and lead at the same time on the same guitar. But uh, another, like a blue standard. This is a song. I mean, I, it's nineteen twenty-eight until I mean, they're still. I'm just like Garrett said, he's still playing it today. But um, just watching the evolution of it and how different each version was, and yet all still <laughs> all great. Is is that part of the the whole appeal to to blues? Is you being able to to really turn your guitar into making those those multiple sounds where when you keep bringing up it sounds like two guitars i mean i think one thing that that people say about jimmy page and eric clapton is it sounds like he's they're playing multiple parts on the same guitar i i think it's the guitar player a lot but i just uh i just like the way that you the i mean the blues is basically the blueprint for rock and roll and even and in a lot of ways um, country and well, and country and hip hop and everything, and you can so you can see definitely in those four style, those four versions, you can see you can see it going splintering and going in all those different directions. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get some scores. So, G. Um. Well. Um. Uh, here I'll I whisper it. It's an it's an eight. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Wayne, what you got? I give it a uh, seven. And uh, I give this a five. Uh, leads us to Milk Cow's Calf Blues. Your calf is hungry, baby. What I believe you need a sucker. Yeah, your calf is hungry, honey. Well, I believe you need a sucker. But your milk is turning blue Lord, I believe it, I'm lucky And uh, I'm looking at everybody's scores And collectively, this is not one of our favorites And there's no there's no getting around this one This song is all about the sexual innuendo <laughs> um, Yeah, this is, this is a Robert Johnson song no, Yeah Yeah That dirty, uh, dirty man Yeah Yeah and I would say uh, I like the hoo-hoo parts. And uh, Wayne, I'm betting that that's why you 
didn't like the song as much, correct? That was that was the only thing I really liked about the song was a yeah parts. I didn't have any. I mean, I guess it's once again it's the slower pace. I thought, yeah. um, and in, and a lot of this is I mean, the one thing about you know we talk about it being sexual, but it's sexual in this innuendo kind of uh, clever way. And this was like I say the milk turning blue and the kneading of sucking and another oh, yeah. man's bull cow. It was not. It, it wasn't. Uh, they weren't hiding it at all. No, no subtlety yeah. whatsoever. Uh, this, this song was um, was tough for me because this was one that I really never was able to get a handle on playing, and therefore I never added it to my repertoire. And again, it uh, coming back to that tempo thing, right? It's a slower tempo, and his vocal is just so expressive; it's pushing it through. But it's really hard to to try to do that especially when i was you know a teenager um trying to figure out how my get my white philly kid <laughs> voice to sound like john hammond to right. trying to sound like you know another old old mississippi black man but it, it was uh i think that's why it was not as high on my list either just because I, I never really could get my head wrapped or my playing wrapped around this song all right, Wayne, what you got for a score? This one actually was my least favorite. I must—I think I said that Hitchhiking Woman was, but that was my second. Okay. <laughs> right. yeah. Wayne likes the party, man. The guy likes tempo. <laughs> yeah, he was upbeat. Yeah, this is this is my least favorite. Um, and then uh, Gila, <laughs> what, you, what you what you got? I think this was—I don't like to use the words least favorite, but this was the lowest score. Because uh, something has to be in last place, and it looks yeah. like this was the one. This was the one, yeah. All right. <laughs> Which is a little problem I have with your show, to be <laughs> yeah. honest. It's a little hard. To, to, it's not really fair to, to really do this. You know what? <laughs> We're going to do it. <laughs> it wouldn't be an episode without our guests saying how difficult it was for the scoring. So we we get it. <laughs> okay. We get it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Leads us to uh, Crawling King Snake. Crawl up to your door. thought it was interesting that the credits for this song go to John Lee Hooker because from the research okay. that I did it seems like John Lee Hooker's version is probably like the fourth incarnation of the song and I don't know if everybody has been able to really narrow down of who exactly recorded it first I think Big Joe Williams is the first known recording that I found and um then there's a Delta bluesman by the name of Tony Hollins that recorded a second version. And I think that that's the one that John Lee Hooker kind of took as his inspiration for this song. So again, I, I kind of went down a, down a wormhole with, with trying to research and figure out um, who exactly did this first. Cause John Lee Hooker didn't seem like a, didn't seem like he was the, the, the first one on the block to do this song. Yeah. 
And this okay. is one that everybody has done. I mean, yeah. Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf. I mean, The Doors right. did it. Yeah, everybody's done this song. And and more sexual innuendo? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but much more. But like I say, it's 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 more sexual innuendo. It gives you, there is some mystery to it. I mean, it's, it's, it's clear, but it's not just outright said. And I think that's, I think that's the beauty of it, but the, this one has a slower pace, but the bassy, the bassiness, a little more bass in his voice and in his guitar. And it gives it that real sexy. It makes it sexy. Yeah. What do you got on this? Yeah. This was one that um, was really cool. Cause this was one that I was able to figure out how to play um one of the easier tunes to figure out how to play what john was doing it was in the key of e which is a easy kind of go-to key for a lot of players including me um especially early on yeah. so this was song that i and, and i just thought it was so cool just the yeah the metaphor i'm a, I'm a crawling king snake and it's so badass this is a badass song and this this has a slower tempo, but it has this you know these bends that it's a you know um, kind of, you know it's it's really kind of tough. It's really tough, and, and you know that's kind of John Lee Hooker's mo. John Lee Hooker's kind of like the deepest, like toughest, dark, badass blues. And um, you know I like that line, like I'm gonna crawl up to your window, I'm gonna crawl up to your door. You got anything you want? I'm gonna crawl up on your floor. I'm a crawling king snake, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, you know it, it's 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 straight up uh, creeping creeping music. Yeah. So um, this one was was real real important to me, and I I recorded this one on my Moonshine Lemonade record, which was an Australian only release, but you yeah. could find it, and it was a hip hop blues with this DJ Plutonic, and um, he did a beat behind it. It's worth, it's worth checking out. It's pretty okay, cool. cool. I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance for my score. Cause remember what I said about the slow, the slow tempo songs. Um, I don't hate this song, but it seems like my four score says that. But anyways, Wayne, uh, Wayne, what do you got for a score? I gave it an eight. This was like I say, it's super sexy. And, and he really, and John and, John Hammond's version is probably uh, the the sexiest of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And G, what do you um, got? Well, you tell me. What do, what do I got? Okay. You, <laughs> I, I don't have my I don't have my list. All right. I, I, to tell you the truth, I did it. Mike, I score with Mike, and I told him the scores. There you go. This <laughs> so, is a, this is a ten. Um, ten for you. This this ten. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm saying. This was a this one that was real. Uh, high up on my list yeah yeah all right next song is bullfrog blues Lord, i'll tell you i've been true i'll tell you my mama i'll tell you the truth if you don't want me honey it's a cinch i don't want you oh i got them bullfrog blues can't be status can't be status i'll be fine can't be satisfied I got them bullfrog blue and I can't be satisfied. And uh, huh. 
Why don't Why don't I just get started with with G Love? Uh, because I think your score is a little higher than Wayne and my scores on this. Why Why you like the song? Well, um, this one again. Okay, this. Well, this is. I recorded this one too. <laughs> okay. On my Bloodshot and Blue EP, and this was one that is particularly dear to my heart because um, I had try to figure out how to play it and then and then one day when i was sitting with john i said john how do you what how do you play it? and he showed me and he also showed me how to he does stage purpose so he showed me how to play those two songs and they're both in like drop d tuning um and uh, yeah again it was like a, a simpler tune i like how he sings it in falsetto you know, to me, I always like subject matter that's kind of fun. And, you know, uh, Bullfrog Blues, you know, um, I got the Bullfrog Blues, babe, I can't be satisfied. You know, that that was, uh, yeah. And, and then there's also a lyric I love in it. It goes, um, if you don't want me, honey, it's a cinch. I don't want you. <laughs> so I... I that's one of my favorite lyrics probably on the whole album. And it's, it's so, uh, it's such an awesome, um, kind of empowering lyric to sing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't say, okay, so the original, the original artist was Willie Harris. So. Oh, Willie Harris. Okay. Um, I did do some research. There is a verse that is not included in the John version, which is probably a good call because it talks about, uh, uh, I'm going to tell you, buddy, what a Chinaman told me. A Chinaman told me, a Jew, you don't likey me. Well, I sure God don't like you. So probably a good call on John <laughs> to not include that in his version. So anyways, right. yeah. Um, Wayne, anything on Bullfrog Blues? No, and I, I was funny as I could never really, I couldn't figure out what he, I couldn't really get a line on what the song was about. So I just assumed it was sex. Uh, yeah. it had to be. And uh I didn't just I I mean I liked it, but it never I guess it didn't stand out uh yeah as much as anything else. I it, it kind of had a more repetitive and lyrical not the and I get it, the blues, the first two lines you always repeat twice, but it still it just it, it kind of dropped down. Yeah. Towards uh, the and what yeah, it's story? true. It, it's it's simple. It's simple, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What's your what's your score on this, Wayne? I gave it a three. And then G. G, you had a nine. What? <laughs> no, I had a nine. There you go. <laughs> uh, and then Bullfrog Blues for me is a two. At, uh, we're going to flip the record over, and next song is Drop Down Mama. Honey don't come from the beach. Yes, my mama don't allow me to stay out all night long. Oh, son, you may be young, some woman may treat you wrong. Oh. And drop down, Mama. That is a Sleepy John Estes. Sleepy John Estes. Sleepy John Estes. 
was this the first time I heard harmonica on the record or uh, did I just miss harmonica the first time I listened through? Cause there's, there's definitely some mouth harp on the next song as well. I felt, I felt like the second half of the album is packed up. With, is, that's yeah, where it feels like it starts here and then every song here after has it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, I think, you know, we've mentioned some other good harmonica players already, Neil Young and Bob Dylan, um, we, we, you know, we, we, we did the debut of Led Zeppelin and, and Robert Plant play some on there. I think in all honesty, John Hammond is probably the best harmonica player I've ever uh, had, I would particularly agree. on this album. I would agree from all the ones that we've done thus far. Yeah. I would definitely agree with you on that. Gee, what do you got on drop down mama? Yeah, man, this one, um, this one is cool. Um, this one's still pretty uh gets a lot of play, I think, in John Hammond's ongoing repertoire. It's really interesting to hear him play it now and over the years as opposed to this recording. Um this was kinda higher on my list again because <laughs> you guessed that I learned how to play this one. There this was go. a part of my repertoire and yeah. this was one that I was able to figure out how to play with a little more ease. And yeah, this does have some cool harmonica, and um, I, I I like the lyric. I love the lyric here, man. Um, um, my my mama don't allow me staying out all night long, she because she said, "Son, you might be young, so a woman might do you wrong." You know, so th- <laughs> that's a interesting. Uh, it's a different, you know. Okay, it's still got that sexual innuendo in it, but it's a, coming from a different side. My mama now now you're by my mom, you know. My, my mama don't allow me saying yeah. that all night long, you know. So I, I like that sentiment. I'm a mama's boy. So I always like to sing that one. And, you know, again, this was in the key of E, um, which, again, was an easier thing for me to navigate, figure out what he's doing. So, yeah, that, I think the lyrical content. And then this is an up-tempo groove. Um, it's also dark, kind of in its, in its way. Yeah. It's a warning. It's a warning. Don't become a player, man. <laughs> yeah, and that's what. And I think the really cool thing about it is, I that's the that's the line I wrote down too. Is he's you know, my mama don't let me stay out all night long. But it's you know, <clears throat> it sounds like the person singing it is at the gambling hall or the whorehouse or the dance hall or whatever. It sounds like he's knee deep in all kinds of fun trouble, saying, oh, "My mama, my mama is not going to like this at all." Right. <laughs> yeah good good analysis all right let's get some scores so uh g love you had a seven i'll just throw that out seven i say seven and and wayne your score <laughs> i gave it a nine it's all just right. it's a ton of fun and this is where the i say this was the first time i noticed oh, okay. the piece, and it was and and it was it, it the harmonica is a big part of this song yeah agreed uh i give this an eight i like it uh, cool. All right, next song, Little Rain Fallen. Oh, strolling by the river. By the veil of 99 
Wandering by the river so a little rain falling. This is a Jimmy Reed song. Jimmy Reed. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I find it interesting that, that this, this song has probably the least amount of lyrics, but yet it's one of the longest songs on the record. And I think that's mostly because of the harmonica parts. And I think it was, you know, t- to your point, Wayne, about how good a harmonica player he is. I think the harmonica parts kind of bumped the score up a little bit for me. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Wayne, we, we're always looking at the lyrics. Did you find it interesting that all of the lyric websites out there gave us Jimmy <laughs> Reed's lyrics and not the full lyrics that Hammond has on this record? Yeah, I actually listened to uh, Jimmy Reed's version, which I think is is definitive. That's that's a stone cold yeah. classic. Uh, but yeah, I yeah. got I looked at different, I mean, I got different lyrics on all of, I think the Stones, they just redid it and it's got different lyrics. And like I say, I felt the Stones one, it felt like I would have liked to have heard them try this maybe 50 years ago and Mm. see what it sounded like. But this is, Uh I mean, this is a 12 bar blues with a shuffle. This is, this is the ancient scriptures of rock and roll. This is, I mean, let there be light. This is, uh, and then more amazing harmonica, just, absolutely brilliant his version is is great but i just i mean this guy's walking along the river by the railroad tracks in the rain with the moon and he's in love and he i mean it's a different whole different spin on the blues it's he's it's actually got this kind of positive uh feel to it it's it's not all yeah. but it is i mean and not maybe not maybe sexual but like he's definitely in love and all and the rain is falling down and it doesn't even affect him yeah, yeah, and and also the, this track has great harmonica on it too, oh, and he's yes. making this thing. He's choking this harmonica, just really ex- expressive playing. And another interesting thing about this, this um, so when we talk about Jimmy Reed, um, like what Jimmy Reed kind of brought to the blues, like he really did kind of this boogie woogie thing, and um, and also like they were really well known. There's the, I think a lot of his recordings are just two guitars and drums. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but if, even if there's bass, the interplay between what the two guitars and most of Jimmy Reed's songs, you listen to them, they sound the same because they pretty much are the same <laughs> as what the two guitars are doing in the different parts. And then he does different variations with the rhythm and samples and stuff and, and makes new songs with it. But it was cool to see John's take on that kind of traditional boogie woogie, which sounds bump, 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 bump. That's kind of the blues, right? A shut like a slow shuffle. Yeah. And um, yeah. So you know, like uh, yeah. This was a this was really just a you know it's a simple tune. I mean, I mean, but I dig it. Yeah. This is really pretty. A pretty. I think it's one of the prettier, prettier songs on the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Wayne, what you got for a score? Uh, I gave it an eleven. This is is my second favorite. All right, I give I it six. What I had six. I give it a ten. And G Love, you got a four on this one. Okay. All right. Well, again, you know this. <laughs> this is this is. This I mean, not everything can be number one. I mean, what can I do? Exactly, yeah. exactly. No, no. 
We're not we're not making you feel guilty for your score at all. We get it. We get it. I'm gonna- I already feel guilty. <laughs> terrible. I like your game, man. <laughs> All right, next song is uh, Seventh Son. Things fall, you make you hardly glad. Look in the sky, you know, dig the rain. I can tell when your woman's got another man. I'm the one. Yes, I'm the one. I'm the I'm the one, the one they call a seven son. Oh. And uh, this is a Willie Dixon song. And speaking of lyrics, Hammond also shortens the lyrics to this song as well. Um Somebody explain the lyrics to me because I have to assume that there's a story in there that I think I'm missing somewhere. But I, I think like in old, like uh, deep South, you know, African American folklore, I think the seventh son is is like I don't know, magical or something. There's okay. something to the seventh son. He the, he's he's got special powers because even in this, he says he he can tell when the woman's got another man. He's got he's got special powers. Yeah. Yeah, the it, it, the yeah this, this is like this 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 one's like badass like this is like you know it, right so it's like the same thing uh as muddy waters like um hoochie coochie man you know like or i'm a man like so on the seventh hour of the seventh day i heard seven doctors say he was born for bad luck or he was born for good luck. So yeah, like I, yeah, I, it, it's obviously some kind of some kind of tr- tradition, right? The seventh son, uh, I, powers. Yeah, I I I like it from from that standpoint. Like I I wasn't sure really what the narrative was, other than you know, there's a little bit of chest thumping where it's like I'm the one, I'm the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just I don't know. I just it really resonated with me, which is why I really really dug this song. And then yeah, they get the lyric, I can heal the sick, I can raise the dead, I can make you little girls talk out of their head. Yes. <laughs> Come exactly. on, man. Exactly. You know what I mean? I can, and they get, look in the sky, I can dig the rain, I can tell when your woman's got another man. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is like, uh, this is the real blues shit, man. Um, excuse me. <laughs> this is the real blues um, thing. And, um, and then also, it's got the stop Oh, so here's another interesting part. John Hammond. Wait, did Mose Allison write this song? Uh, Who wrote I've, this one? Yeah, I've got Willie Dixon. I've got, I got Willie, Dixon. Willie. Yeah. So, but John, because he told me John learned his version from Mose Allison. Okay. The jazz pianist, I think, uh, sure. which is a really, if go back and listen to that version because yeah. it's a world away from what john's doing and it's interesting that it that that it's interesting that that was his influence on on this one um but i like would play this one because this one i was also able to figure out again this one is an e2 the key of e and it's got that ball burn from everybody it's got the stop time which is unique because to pull off that stop time 
just on a solo acoustic performance like he's doing, it takes a lot of, that takes a lot. Um, I think, um, cause there's more space, right. And you used to be like in a big blues band, you know what I mean? Yes. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. All right. Should we get some so what scores? What do we got? Yeah. Should we get some scores on this? All right. Uh, Wayne, what you got? I gave it a five and this, I just want to note that John Hammond's version is a lot darker than definitely than Jimmy Rivers, you know, rock and roll version from the sixties. And then even Willie Dixon, um, cause Willie adds a boogie woogie piano and you can't, you cannot not tap your foot when a boogie woogie piano is going on. So yeah, uh, I gave this a five and, but I like, I really like John, uh, John's like darker version of this. And then G you're, you're matching Wayne. What I gave it a five. I'll give it a five. There you go. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this, this is this is my nine. Leads us to who okay. do you love? Oh man. Ali took me by my hand and said, Ooh, John, you don't understand. Well, who do you love? Yeah, honey, who do you know? Yeah. The writing credits goes to Ellis McDaniel, but you probably know him as Bo Diddley. Absolutely, this is a blues staple. Like, uh, I'm, I'm curious. Which musicians you guys equate with this song? Do you go to- George Thorogood? Yeah, yeah, that's that's, I, I, that's that's me too. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about the George Thorogood version is it's even got more of the Bo Diddley beat than the Bo Diddley version. <laughs> um, but this song is right, like right. this. Yeah, this song is part of the uh, of the structural basis for the bridge that goes from the blues to rock and roll. Yeah, All right and. Actually, it's such a good point because so Bo Diddley's version is does not have the traditional beat that we associate with Bo Diddley, which, of course, George Thurgood's version is the Bo Diddley beat, him singing Who Do You Love, right? But that's not how Bo Diddley did it. And John Hammond's beat also is not the Bo Diddley beat, although it's similar. And John, John's rhythmic guitar playing on this version, on this record, this could be the strongest rhythm guitar playing on that whole record, possibly. Um, it's just, it's, uh, it's just ferocious. And um, to try to perform this one the way John's doing it takes a incredible amount of like, hand strength. Because this one, I think he cut in the key of F. And that's kind of also a hard chord to play okay. um it's the hardest chord to like bar um but uh and the other notable thing about this song is that again john recorded this song before this became what we call a top 40 blues song right yeah. so he, he's doing this before this song has been you know become a rock and roll staple yeah right. i'm right. saying Yep. <laughs> uh, because it like friends and my drummer's kind of, you know, kind of 
he, he'll be one of these guys. Like he's played a lot of blues bands and you know done done the whole thing. And um, he'll be like, oh, I'm not playing that. You know, that's a top forty blues. We call that. Yeah, I'm not playing that. <laughs> Dig a little deeper. You know, you know. So, so it's interesting. Yes. So you know. Maybe. Um, and maybe that's why our yeah. scores are a little bit higher than yours, possibly. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I've got a seven. Wayne, what do you got? Uh, this is the one I least <laughs> I'm least comfortable with. I gave it a six, and a there. This is the one that I it, that I feel most bad about. I feel like it Five. deserved higher. Okay. So you felt like it deserved higher than you gave it. There you so go. What did I? What did I? What do I? What was I giving? Well, then, if you're if you're feeling bad, then G is really feeling bad for his three score. (laughs) He's he's had to feel that all along. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's tough. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, again, like I will say, I'm proud to know and play John's version. It's kind of the heart of my version because, as I am with all of his songs, because his take is unique, and whenever I pull out you know me doing one of john's versions of these songs it's always different than how everybody else plays it and knows it so you know um and this is just one that you end up playing a lot because of the tempo it's got an upbeat tempo it's a famous song now everybody everybody plays it you know what i mean yeah like jack john jack johnson does a a version of it okay I'll sit in with Jack and and he'll some sometimes we'll do a version of it. Um, his version is very Jack Johnsony and um, and it's great, but it's definitely not like really. It's not blues. It's it's him singing some blues over kind of uh, one of his riffs, which it's it's really cool actually. But um, yeah. So I don't know what what do I what do I give it? I give, what do I give it a three. You gave it a three. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, no judgment. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, thirty-two twenty blues is the next song. Well, I shoot my pistol, got to shoot my gallon gun. I shoot my pistol, got to shoot my gallon gun. Yes, you may be in love, but now your man don't come. Yeah, I sure can't take my rest on. Yeah, I sure can't take my rest. Yeah, this 3220 laying up and down my breast. Robert Johnson. Robert song. Johnson. Right. More, more sexual innuendo, right? This time with a gun. Yeah, yeah. Pr- pretty standard stuff to equate your penis with the pistol, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and Wayne, yeah, isn't that what you call it? Oh, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I call it, my pistol. Um, so, so Wayne, you're a you're a, a Van Halen fan. Doesn't this riff sound a lot like the beginning of the Ice Cream Man? Uh, oh yeah, well that's and that's a pretty uh, a blues as bluesy as the as van halen ever got yeah this has that real classic i mean that intro is pretty has been well used i mean that's a very blues standard intro that uh i just like this song is so just so gangster just i mean 
her gun, my gun, the Gatlin gun, like her 38's nice, but my 3220 is gonna it's right. just and then when at the end I do I think it's funny because I, I I originally just took this as total gangster, like my gun's bigger than your gun. I'm or even threatens to shoot her. I'm like, this guy's crazy. But then at the end, I thought it was funny because I did get the penis metaphor all all together, and the and the gun is laying on his chest, which I just thought was, wow, he's really bragging now. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Th- this was um, well, this is interesting from a musical perspective because if you do go back and listen to the Robert Johnson version, you know John really simplified the guitar part on this um, mm-hmm. tune much more so than a lot of other ones. So, so again, as a young student of the blues, this was a song that I was able to figure out and play and perform. And, um, yeah. And then, um, um, and it's got some really cool licks in it, but they're simple. So in that way, it's accessible, um, you know, and then, and then, yeah, and then it has the whole badass thing, with the um the guns you know so like uh and then yeah what's the last line like i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot my pistol i'm gonna shoot my gallon gun so you may be you may be lonesome but now your man won't come oh no yeah something like that yeah 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 it's just a fun song um and that that's why i gave it my highest score i could have given like oh, cool. three i could have given like three or four different songs my highest score but i i wow. i ended up cho- cho- choosing this as my top wayne how about you what uh, what did you give this ah uh, 10 yeah this is right up there i thought i just thought this i think robert johnson was and i from reading i read keith richards biography robert johnson is is super important to him he's clearly very important to john hammond i think it's it's interesting that, you know, and John ha- John Hammond's father was the one that tried to get Robert Johnson in at Carnegie Hall. And he found out what he was looking for him, that he was dead. Like nobody realized it. No, uh, oh, wow. uh, very, very, uh, like I say, he's he's definitely if there was a rock and roll, not rush running, Robert Johnson would be on it. And this this version, oh, yeah. I dare say, is even bluesier. It's uh, he slowed down because I did listen to the Robert Johnson version a lot. And John Hammond okay. kind of sl- slows it down. And gives right. them even a really, I dare say, a bluesier feel than Robert Johnson's. Wow. That's funny. And uh, G, you've got a six on this one. Six. I thought I, what well, I did, I felt like I got to put a six on something else. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that was it. That was it. Again, no judgment. Um, no judgment. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up. Here is Going Down Slow. Well, won't you look for my clothes on? Yes, on the next train south. Well, won't you look for my clothes on? Well, if you don't see my body. Lord, you know I'm dead and gone. Oh, so this is a—is this a Willie Dixon song? Um, I think this the 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 credits I've got are is James Burke Oden and St. Louis Jimmy Oden. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. But that's, I think that's his nickname. That's oh, is that person. it? Oh, it's the same one. Okay. All right. Uh, definitely more lyrical cutting from Hammond on this one. Like the first verse that I found on the, the web was definitely completely cut out. Um, Hammond definitely took some, some considerations on the lyrics on this one. What do you guys have on going down slow? I thought it was a cool way to end. Cause it's, if you think of it, the songs like about dying and wow, that's how that's the end. So, I mean, I thought he was, I thought he, he may have a good choice for ending it. And this got more of that phenomenal harmonica. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, this is a real, you know, I like the sentiment too. Again, it's like, there's the thing with the mom, like, you know, won't you write my mama, tell her the shape I'm in, tell her to pray for me, forgive me for my sin. So this is a really like a reckoning, like, and, you know, maybe you can just imagine, like, you know, and whenever the song was written in the 30s or whatever, like, you know, these are super poor communities. And, um, you know, maybe this is what happened when people would get cancer. Like, they was no treatment or something. So this is like a an ailment that these people know that they're not coming back from and it's not going to be pretty. And it's going down slow, you know what I mean? Yeah. But then you have that thing like, well, I have my fun, you know what I mean? So it's just kind of a reckoning. So it was it was, it was, really, it was blues, right? <laughs> the next train south, well, don't you look for my clothes on board? If you don't see my body, then you know I'm dead and gone. I mean, you know, this is a this is a real kind of like, you know, heart wrenching last. The, the final song, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely wraps, uh, wraps the bow on this present. So, and, and, uh, and actually another great recording of that one is Helen Wolf does a great recording of that. No, I haven't heard that, that record. Okay. Let's get some scores on this Wayne. Four. And then G you had a two. Two. There you go. And then I, two. I, <laughs> and I have three. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, this is usually the part where I say, did we miss anything? Did we cover everything? <laughs> I, I mean, I think we, I think, yeah, we, we got it. <laughs> I think we got it. All right. So, uh, so this is the time in the podcast where we determine our top five songs on the record based off of the scoring. But uh, as sung in Birmingham, we're going to go five, four, three, two, one, go. Here we go. Okay. All right. So uh, any guesses on what our number one song is? Traveling uh, Riverside Blues. Yeah. Traveling yeah, Riverside Blues. That uh, got an average score of 11.66. Number two, 32.20 Blues. That score, average right. score of 9.33. Third song, Little Rain Fallen, 8.33. And Drop Down Mama, right behind that, at number four. And our fifth song, it's Crawling King Snake. So, um, apologies, G. We we kind of tanked uh, "Hitchhiking Woman," which was your your second favorite song. Um, yeah. so, the, so that uh, that that's right outside the top five. But I think that's a solid five, don't you think? Oh yeah, yeah. So is that going to be the new side A playlist? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. 
Yeah, maybe. We'll we'll have to create our own uh, Spotify playlist based off of our scoring, right? Now, now we'll we, right. we'll be true to we'll be true to the record. <laughs> well, gee, this has been it, this has been fun, man. I, I would say one last point I'll make um regarding any records just going through the scoring process is an interesting thing. Um and it makes you think about how records are sequenced. Because it's a big part of making records. Once you finish that record and you get all the mixes, well, what order are these songs going to go in? Yeah. But clearly, your top five, our top five, are sprinkled all around both sides of this record, right? So um, it's interesting just to note that and think about. Well, I wonder if if uh, some of the great records uh, like Exile Main Street, which you mentioned earlier, Wayne. Um, if the Rolling Stones sat down and did this process before they made the sequence, would that record be sequenced differently? <laughs> yeah, and you know we we've talked about the sequencing a lot on on our episodes, and even though the the top scores may be you know top or top five may be sprinkled throughout the entire album, doesn't necessarily mean that. Um, that's where we would want the sequence to be on the record. Cause I think that there are, there are some songs where it's like, you, you got to have this, you know, in the middle of the record because sure. the couple songs leading up to it is, you know, this becomes, you, you've got like the palate cleanse right before that really big song. And yeah, sequencing is a big thing for us. And um, actually, it's interesting because it, it really could it, actually it could affect your, your song score the way you're hearing it because what you heard right before it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, this has been fun, man. So, so, so <laughs> tell all of our listeners where they can find all the happenings of G Love and the Special Sauce. All right. Well, um, please stay in touch uh, on Instagram at Philly G Love, spelled at Philly Glove. Okay. On Twitter at G Love spelled at Glove, um, Facebook G Love and Special Sauce. Um, our main website is philadelphonic.com. Um, and yeah, that's that's it. The new record is called G Love, the Juice on Philadelphonic Records, produced by Keb Moe, Marcus King, Robert Randolph, Roosevelt Colley, and Ron Ortiz, and yours truly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's all she wrote. Cool, cool. I know you got to get ready for a show, so I've got one last question for you. And uh, we we ask all of our guests. So, who do you know that I don't know who'd want to come on our podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? I think anybody would want to come, but I, you know, <laughs> I'll throw it to uh, I'll throw it to Marcus King because it sounds like you're a fan, and um, he's got a new record out. And he's on my record, so I'm gonna throw it to Marcus. Yeah, man, would love to have Marcus on. That would be fantastic. Cool, yeah. cool. All right, well, let's wrap this up. You can find all of our happenings as well if you go to recordsrevisitpodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Records Revisit Podcast, Instagram. Uh, we are on Twitter at Podcast Records. You can find us all on the major podcast platforms apple podcast Castbox, stitcher iHeartMedia, media spotify etc so thanks for listening please go support the arts go to a live show buy a t-shirt of the band buy a record visit a record store and not just on record store day we are records revisited and we are
Out. Out. <laughs> Perfect.